Publishing for Profit podcast is brought to you by Ghostwriters and Co. Earn more money by publishing better content and learn how to increase your thought leadership so you can build your brand. Head over to ghostwritersandco.com for more information. That's ghostwritersandco.com. And now, your host, Joel Mark Harris. Hello, and welcome to the Publishing for Profit podcast. This is your host, Joel Mark Harris. We are on episode number 13. It is lucky number 13. I can't believe we're already 13 episodes deep. Uh, so this episode, we have an amazing guest, Bosco Anthony. He is a digital marketer. We talk a lot about uh, content marketing, how to do content marketing, what not to do, some of the pitfalls. We talk about branding, how to think about branding. Bosco is also a TEDx speaker. Uh, so he tells us about how he prepared for the role, how many hours went into uh, preparing and rewriting his speech and practicing and performing, and then how life has changed from after. It's uh, been a very interesting journey for him. So hopefully you enjoy this episode. Hi, Bosco, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, buddy. It's been a while, but you know, here we are. Yes. So I want to start off, you were a part of a documentary, and it was called Our Beloved Country. Can you tell me what inspired you to participate in this documentary, what your role was, and I guess, where, where, how far along are they in, in completion? So, um, yeah, I, I was, it's a good question. I was... Um, involved in a advisory board for uh, a couple of people who I now call friends um, that were doing a lot of initiatives, charitable foundations and initiatives in East Africa, specifically in Kampala, Uganda. And uh, they were doing what we call, you know, a couple of missions down to in Kampala where they had some space, creative space for uh, youth and uh, young people in Kampala. And uh, I was a digital advisor, helped them with their brand at one point, you know, their websites, their digital representations. And uh, they were basically wanting to feature some of the stories that they captured uh, from Kampala, Uganda. And they wanted to create what we call a digital docuseries called Our Beloved Land. And um, so they had a um, idea to to have this uh, published and, and digitally publicized. And so we helped them with their narrative, their stories, and, and capture the message that they wanted to have. And we used it in different various formats. We used it as part of what, you know, what we call a digital distribution strategy. So we had it on YouTube. We used it as part of a, a launch. We had um, you know, people come together. We showed the, the movie out to friends and people as well. Um, so we had a, we use it as a launch, but more importantly, uh, we repurposed that content with the intention of support, uh, donations, crowdfunding. And, uh, it was, you know, it was one of those strategies that was sort of grassroots and, uh, you know, it, it's one of the many digital initiative storytelling concepts that I've been involved with in my career. Um, it was, uh, it was a really good time, you know, it was, uh, it was a really, uh, momentous occasion for for them as a group to tell their story digitally and you know we've all 
matured our career. You know, some of them have gone to work for agencies. Others have gone back to Africa to do some more work. Um, and, and it's one of the many different causes that I believe in and, and, and I've worked with um, over, the time, over the time and period of my career uh, before I moved to Australia. And, you know, it's one of those initiatives that make you feel good. Another one that I was involved with was the Ugly Christmas Sweater Party that you probably are aware of. You've seen, you know, things on social. And I sat on that board for two years. And in that two years, we were able to generate over 5,000 pieces of content, micro content, videos, photography. And we were totally, you know, able to revamp the brand and retell the story, which was, which was important and amazing to do. And, uh, you know, we went from, from one wish to granting five to six wishes. So, most of the storytellings that you've seen that you know have been publicized really are for the common good and for a better purpose in life. And I feel like uh, you know it's prepared us for where we are now in time. You know, with the current sentiment that's going on around the world. I think Will Smith said it best. He said, "You know, racism has been going on for a while." Um, but we're just capturing it now and we're just, you know, filming it and, and archiving it. So, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of storytelling uh, for different causes, for, for different initiative, for different voices. Um, and I feel like having been in the trenches, in the grassroots, you know, all those years ago, it's allowing us now to understand what the craft of storytelling is and the message and the purpose you get from that. You know, I want to remind everybody too that, um, one video sparked everything that you see right now. Mm. Uh, one digital video. I think that's a really important point, actually. Yeah. Uh, you're right. There's just one piece of content that was disseminated across the world. And, and now this whole movement has gained. It, it, the movement was there for, you know, for a while, right? Uh, but it's definitely gained some traction, some more traction. And so I think that yeah it's it's important to to remember that it it just takes one one camera you know to to start something yeah and it's a it's a conversation that needs to happen i think i wrote a piece on it because people were asking for my opinion and where i stood with it and you know i shared it on facebook and i called it a tale of many narratives you know and and there's so many narratives going on there's so many different lenses and viewpoints and there's really no right or wrong in people's choices in the matter because everyone's entitled to their own feelings and everyone's entitled to to how they want to process this and, and take from this but i feel like you know we have to go back to the roots and we have to really honor the history of where we are and where we've come from. And, um, you know, it's, it's an amazing part of history that we will look back and always remember, you know, and, uh, and the conversation is happening, whether you choose to black out your comments or whether you choose to mute yourself, this conversation is happening. And, uh, and uh, we're in a historic time in history where digital storytelling and narratives are, are crafting it and coming from either a place of love or fear. So you mentioned a couple of initiatives that you've done. What are some things that you get excited about? What is, what does it take for Bosco to say yes to a initiative? You know, it has to align with my purpose. Um, and uh, I've been fortunate uh, to find and discover my purpose at a very young age. You know, I had a mentor 
when I was 19 that stayed with me through most of my 20s and my 30s. His name is David Reeve from Unleash Culture. And uh, David and I have worked together in various capacities. Uh, there's a kinship, there's a bond. He's like my second dad, my counsel, and, and vice versa. You know, we've helped each other navigate through many channels. And so I established my purpose as empowering digital brands and leaving them better than I found them. And I have four values that feed and fuel that purpose. Um, and so before I take on any client, not even just a cause, I, I have to you know do an internal reflection and see if my values are aligned with the people that I'm working with. And I've made decisions based on that. I've said yes, I've said no, I've walked away, I've changed my mind based on that value and belief system. So what gets me excited every day is, um, am I li living my purpose? Am I really living life by design? And it's one of the many reasons that, you know, led me to where I am today. So I think my purpose and values really impact the decisions I make. Did uh, So you recently moved to Australia in December. Can you tell mm -hmm. me what went into that decision and your your journey? You're just telling me that um, before we went on air that you know you had to real you know get your business up and running again and kind of get yourself aligned and and comfortable, I guess, um, in your new surroundings. So, what what prompted this decision? It's a good question. Um, I think the choice to live life by design for one many reasons, but um, I think there was an evolution of my career. There was an evolution of, you know, where I was personally in life and where I wanted to go. Um, you know, everything from my own personal well-being. you know, the relationships, friends, tribe, all of that stuff, you know, evolved. Uh, and so Australia was calling for a few reasons. Um, but I have a digital mentoring practice. I basically um, am in a situation where I'm fortunate where, you know, during this, this year's events, especially during the pandemic and, and the COVID era, um, I was busy. You know, people were contacting me, wanting to talk to me about digital migration and transitions. So the choice to come to Australia was a personal choice at first, but then it became a professional choice over time. Wanted to change the scenery. Um, I wanted to uh, move somewhere that, you know, was part of the Blue Ocean Strategy. I read this book, The Blue Ocean Strategy. Great book. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a great book. It talks about, it talks about chartering, uh, you know, uh, uncompetitive waters. And uh, I, I have done everything I could do in North America. I moved into to Canada in 2002, done the immigrant playbook. And, you know, life was, was, was great. You know, I still have my parents and my sister and my nephew there. Um, and and I, I fondly, uh, you know, miss my friends and, and the relationships and friendships. But, uh, you know, I'd been there for quite some time and it was just time in my life to evolve my thinking and challenge myself some more. And I wanted to really explore. And uh, sometimes in life, you know, you ask yourself, what if you did, you know, what would you do if you couldn't fail? What, what if you didn't have the ability to fail? How would you approach the lens? And And so... There's many perks to living in a new country. There's many perks to immigrating. Uh, but having done it in Canada once, it's a lot easier to do it again. And so, you know, coming here in Australia, I'm lucky and fortunate to come in here just before the world went apocalyptic. 
and uh, yeah. there was a shortage of toilet paper. Um, <laughs> was there so, a shortage of toilet paper there too? Oh, uh, Joel, it was everywhere, everywhere. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's the shortages of toilet paper in Tanzania where I'm originally from. And so it was an interesting time, you know, it was an interesting aspect and, and great learning experience. And uh, I'm fortunate, you know, I'm really fortunate and lucky to have an amazing tribe. And, uh, you know, I, I can say, I can say honestly that the best lesson my mom and a bunch of other people have ever taught me is no matter how bad you think you have it in this world, there's someone else that might have it even more uh, and, and less unfortunate. So, so I, I'm thankful and I'm grateful. And uh, I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about the world, learned a lot about business uh, during this time. And it was just time for change. And I embraced it. And uh, my values and belief system said, you know, it's time to live life by, uh, by design as opposed to default. And, that's why I'm here. You've, you've been in the digital marketing space for probably some time now. Can you tell me about your evolution um, to where you are now and how did you get, you know, from, you know, where you were to now? So I come from a computer engineering background. Um, I, I, that was a lesson and course I had taken when I was in Tanzania. And my mom wanted noticed that I had a talent for computers when I was a very at a very young age. You know, not just computer games, but um, I could do quite a bit when it came to networking and hacking into things. And and I had you know what they they call raw talent. So she wanted me to do good with a with a knowledge and so i went and got a microsoft systems certified engineering uh course done and then got certified and then when i came to canada i i you know number one microsoft was outsourcing stuff to other countries and i just didn't feel like that was something i wanted to do anymore so i moved into the corporate world and had to do with everything to do with tourism and hospitality and I did that for five years. I started off in sales training and development, moved into corporate leadership, and I went to, you know, do a lot of night schooling and um, a lot of accreditations, both, you know, certified and through, you know, e-universities. And um, after five years, I realized, like, I had done everything I needed to do in that industry and uh, I wanted more in life financially. I wanted more in life experience-wise. And I got headhunted to go work for the Internet Marketing Center. And that was where I got my digital marketing roots. You know, if you talk to some of the service providers in Vancouver, a lot of them got their starting foundation from the Internet Marketing Center. And the Internet Marketing Center is sort of the original gangster of internet marketing. <laughs> it was the pioneers of, of internet marketing. You know, we were part of the Dan Kennedy era. We were part of the, you know, the era of Corey Rudel and, uh, you know, Jay Abraham and, and uh, Brian Tracy and Zig Ziglar. I mean, I can throw your names and spit I rhymes from the internet marketing yeah. industry, right? Yeah. And that's, that's where I got my foundation. And, and the cool thing was I was an affiliate uh, manager and then, you know, working my way to directing over, 6,000 super affiliates. And, you know, I was reporting to a guy named Chris Reynolds and uh, awesome, really awesome guy. We had a lot of things in common sports and, uh, and we had a lot of fun jiving together. And I learned, you know, I just absorbed and learned from, from a lot of people there. And, um, you know, I got on the seminar team and uh, I was, I was working with some amazing speakers, Jason Bax and John Urig, who, Basically, we're traveling all over the U.S., the U.K., Australia, and I really just absorbed 
everything I could from these guys. And, you know, we were in Edmonton one day and uh, one of the speakers got sick, food poisoning. And, and, you know, I went up and did my part. It was either that or cancel the event. And so we all, you know, pitched in and I loved being on stage and I loved, you know, uh, the feeling when I got when I was on stage and it was sort of an accidental speaker uh, <laughs> moment. And, uh, you know, and then I was like, I want to do more of this. You know, I want to, I want to I wanna really learn more and um, went through that roller coaster ride. And it was amazing, you know, traveling around the world. But uh, I got my grassroots from the Internet Marketing Center. And then when the recession hit, um, I went and built my own boutique agency and I made every classical mistake you can make, you know, every startup mistake you can make um, and started from like humble beginnings. But I had, you know, I had some great contacts that I had built. I had some work for the first, you know, six to 12 months and I really just hustled. And, um, you know, that allowed me to then meet some amazing vendors, grow my business, build a virtual agency, you know, to date, we've done over a thousand digital projects. And uh, I've been fortunate to be involved in over 90 different marketing verticals. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I basically went from the agency world to the corporate gig sector where I was, you know, a digital strategist for many brands. And, you know, I had some very loyal uh, brands that I'd been part of, you know, my, my longest service contract was about 11 years in the gaming industry. And uh, I just finished that in December, um, you know, and it was time for, for a completely different change in direction. So um, today I have a mentoring practice with 300 clients all over the world and it's digital, virtual. And, uh, you know, my grassroots still are fondly remembered at IMC. And, you know, I have some amazing bonds and friendships from people from there. And we proudly look back at that time and go, we were part of something really cool. Um, and for me, the full circle was when the CEO of that company had me as a guest on his podcast. Um, you know, Derek Gill's uh, an interesting cat. And, and, and I really enjoy jamming with him on the podcast. But, you know, when, when that happens, you know, you're doing something all right. You talked about some mistakes you made initially starting up your business. Can you elaborate um, on some things that people could potentially avoid? Yeah, so I'll give you I'll give you a personal and a professional mistake. Um, the professional mistake is trying to grow your brand on your own. You know, it's there's only so much time in the day that you have, and um, you know, for the listeners that are small business owners or you're doing it yourself, you you can't really wear all those hats. And when I got into the you know business of my myself, I realized that I was doing everything. I was doing sales, I was doing delivery, I was doing operations, and I had strengths in every single one of those areas. But also, I had a ton of uh, weaknesses because I didn't have much time to get things done. So, uh, the classical mistake you can make professionally is is doing it all on your own. And so, you've got to build your tribe. You know, I've learned how to white label my services, collaborations and partnerships and business partnerships have been amazing. Lots of lessons there, how to pick the right partners, how to keep your partners motivated, um, how to work with your partners, how to get the best from your partners. I could write a book on partnerships, you know, and um, I, I made all those classical mistakes uh, so that it allowed me to, you know, find better partners. Uh, personally, I think, you know, it's all about your lens and, and, and your mindset. You know, when I was younger, I tried too hard. I wanted to hustle because I felt like I was already at a disadvantage. 
Um, and so I w- I've always been an underdog and my, I got my grassroots being an underdog. I became a speaker being an underdog. Um, so I, I, I hustled really hard and sometimes, you know, personally that can be a little bit too much or it can come across too strong. So the biggest lesson I learned in the first three years of starting my business was really just, you know, changing the lens and changing the uh, authenticity and the approach of why we do things. And it goes beyond profits. It goes beyond numbers. It goes beyond accomplishments and accolades. Um, it's about meaningful connection. It's about aligning yourself with other people's values. Um, and it's more importantly about perspective and, 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 ha- and having respect for the hustle, but more importantly, having more empathy to the approach. You can have the best hustle in the world, my man, but if you don't have the right approach, you are lost and, and it sends people the wrong message. So um, I wrote a book called Immigrant Hustle and uh, you know we, we finished editing it last year. It's 76,000 words, 12 chapters, and I'm hoping to publish it uh, this year. But you know, I took a while and I wanted to recraft the message and I'm okay with that. So sometimes it's not about just the launch. It's not about, you know, results. Sometimes it's just about feeling it, you know, and, and, and making sure that the people that you're working with are feeling it too. One part of the digital marketing and digital strategy is obviously branding. How do you think about branding and how do you mentor people in branding? Branding is, you know, it's, it's, a big beast. And uh, I'm assuming you talk about personal branding, but you know, when we talk about branding, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's start with personal branding. You know, I think for personal branding, I think it comes down to storytelling and it comes down to the, the passion, the purpose and the values and beliefs. And then how do you transcribe that into the story? And with any brand, personal or professional or, or bigger brand, it really comes down to, to embracing the origin of your stories. Um, you know, and I had that situation happen to me where, you know, I had to change the lens. I, I, I'm fortunate to have written a book and, and, you know, speak at a TEDx platform. And, uh, you know, I started writing the grassroots of what my, my talk was going to be and what my book was going to be. And I ran into a, a friend of mine who uh, calls himself Dreamer, and uh, he um, is a storyteller. And he said to me, he said, Bosco, you know, you really need to get back to the roots of your story. You really need to go back to the origin. And he said, you know, otherwise it's just a book. Otherwise it's just a talk. Otherwise it's just a keynote. You've got to really go back to the story to capture the audience in and give them permission to come in. And uh, that piece of advice changed my life. You know, it helped me craft a better TEDx talk than I could have ever imagined. Um, It gave me the foundation to approach everything with a new lens. So for me, I would say personal branding is all about, you know, crafting that story and inviting people to come in. Um, And then it's about, you know, transforming that content across different digital verticals and platforms and channels. Um, So I I really pay attention to the story side of things uh, before I do anything else. So what are, if somebody who doesn't know their story and hasn't thought about their story, what is a good place to start and how should they think about their own story and use that for their own message? Good question. 
I'm not going to give you a conventional answer of promoting a software. I'm going to say you need to start with the heart and you need to start with yourself and self-reflection. So I'm a big fan of introspection and, and reflection. And the questions that I ask myself is who, I, who am I? What am I becoming? Where am I from? Um, and so rather than, you know, telling people to go to a certain place to, to figure out that story, I really want them to dig deep. You know, I want to know the sentiment and the voice of the brand um, and that comes from within, you know, and I just had a really, really cool session yesterday with one of my clients uh, in the yoga wellness space. And, uh, you know, he explained his, his logo and, uh, you know, he said, this is, this is why I created this logo and it contains three elements, you know, the elements of me, the elements of my clients, you, uh, and the elements of us. And as soon as he said that, I was like, I got it. I got the story, you know, and uh, sometimes there's, there's meaning to it. I've got a podcast that I'm going to be launching very soon and it's going to be called the one tribe podcast. And um, I was working with a design team and they said, what's really important for you? I said, well, I want to embrace my African roots and I want to build a tribe. And, you know, the logo came through and, you know, the logo is a podcast mic inside an African shield. Um, it's original. It's my identity. And more importantly, it, it speaks to what I'm trying to build is empowering conversations and build a strong digital community of people that are in a safe space, you know, a creative space and a space for people to nurture their talents and come together. And, um, you know, it's not going to be a podcast about business or marketing or just those elements because, you know, those elements are great. But, you know, it's about conversations. It's about life elements. It's about life alignment. Uh, it's about a bigger conversation than just business and marketing. And, and having been in business for so long, I don't come to a podcast with the intention of just spraying and praying on digital, you know, elements. I, I like to really get outside the box and, and really not promote myself because I feel like, you know, when you've hustled as hard as I have, you've hustled so that everybody in the room knows your name at that point. And so, you know, there comes a piece and element where you want to look back and go, what's the legacy you're trying to build, you know? Um, and that's where I'm at. That's the space I'm at right now is, is what can I do of intention that can leave a digital footprint that's, uh, that's worthy. And okay. So for the, some, for the research for this uh, podcast, I came over, um, a talk you did about uh, content marketing versus context marketing. Can you talk a little bit about what that is, what the differences are between the two? Yeah, so um, content marketing is the elements to, to either um, promote your content or, or, or distribute your content in a, in a, in a marketing format. Context marketing is, you know, what is the message off that content? What is the direction and the story and the visuals and the audibles so that people can understand with clarity through the different mediums? Now, I feel you need to contextualize your content before you actually give away that content. And so I'm, I'm a big believer of, of contextualizing great content. But there's an X factor. And the X factor is this. Your content and your storytelling is as good as your distribution, right? Your, your distribution is where your content strategy gains or fails. And most people in business and especially small businesses, they get two things right. 
And those two things are, I'm going to take my content and I'm going to put it on all my social channels and I'm going to create this organic traffic to my website, which is great. You know, like those are the given rights that you've been given digitally. But there's six other elements that are the X factor when it comes to content distribution. There's paid media. There's exposure points of people that can take you to even a bigger, wider audience. There's influencers. There's partnerships. There's targeted integrated campaigns with multiple elements. And, repurp and finally, there's repurposing of content. Not many people do that, you know. And, and I've been a strategist for 10 plus years. And I can tell you right now with ease that if you don't have a content distribution strategy, your message is going to maybe one tenth of the potential audience. Um, and a classic example is, um, you know, my own work. You know, I did a TEDx talk in 2016 and I've created this really strong organic uh, strategy that I've had for the last three years. And it's one of my most successful personal uh, content pieces that I have steadily promoted over the last three years. And I'm already close to 670,000 views on YouTube. Um, it's, it lives on YouTube. It lives on the, it lives on the TEDx channel. It has nothing to do with my own personal assets, but I've leveraged that content. I've helped get it out there. I've used a distribution strategy and I'm still using a distribution strategy. And my personal goal is to get a million eyeballs organically or through my own, uh, through my own ways of getting, you know, eyeballs and, and intentions, but it's not a vanity stat for me. For me, it's about quality of traffic. Now, some of my speakers, you know, paid for bots. Some of my speakers paid for fake traffic for vanity stats. I don't believe in that. Not with, not with the TEDx message. I had an intention and a meaning for it. So my strategy was build a speaker kit, uh, digital and print. Uh, my strategy was target you know, institutions, speaker organizations, conferences, to, and leverage that talk. And I used these eight different pieces, except for paid media. I, I, you know, did not, I felt like I could do more organically without paid media, and I recognized that I could get to my number a lot quicker if I use paid media, but I chose not to. I, I, I made a personal uh, promise to myself that I would get to a million views through my own means without a marketing budget. And in three, you know, I celebrated my four year anniversary for speaking at TEDx just, just recently. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm really close to 700,000 views and, and my goal is to get to a million and then I can, you know, shake my hands off and say, I've done it. And so, you know, you, you, when it comes to content marketing, the X factor is distribution. I want to highlight two things you said there, because I think they're really important. I don't want to gloss over them. One is that people seem to think that they just need to pump out content, you know, new content, but there's, they, they forget to mine the old content. And the second thing is that it doesn't have to be on your platform. It doesn't need to be something on your website. It could be a piece of content that's on another platform on, yeah, on YouTube, for example, it's somebody else's channel, right? So I think those two things are, are super important to, in addition to what you said. For sure. It's a great observation, Joel. And, and you know, I, the, I think you were involved, I think, in some, some elements uh, for, that, for that event did, in my yeah, life. I did the, the um, content for that one. Yeah, and I remember you and I reaching out. And I think you, I think people, I think, heard of my brand because 
there was a bunch of people involved in the marketing and all of a sudden they saw traffic and ticket sales and a lot of people were using my, my, my affiliate promo during that event. And I think that's how you and I started talking as well. Yeah, and, so um, you know, I, I learned three things. Number one is, you know, the, the, the reason why that TEDx talk is still getting organic views is because we optimized that talk and we had some strong keywords um, and I was able to create an inbound channel. My email address is on the description of that video. I, I can honestly say uh, with, with no bias that I've managed to receive paid speaking events around the world through that YouTube talk and it doesn't exist on my channel, but my email does. And so people reach me through that channel. People research me. You know, I, I spoke for the Tourism Association of Utah. And here's a great story. I'm in Australia and I get a call and a voicemail and I get on a phone call, a Skype call, and I speak to the organizers of the tourism conference. And, you know, they asked me to come speak for them in, in Vernal. And um, it was awesome. It was a great experience. I didn't know anything about Utah and, and I flew into Salt Lake City and, uh, you know, it was really cool. I got to go see the, the dinosaur parks and I got to see the fossils because I didn't realize that Utah has a lot of archaeological, uh, you know, fossils around that area and uh, a lot of dinosaurs uh, bones and everything else. It was, it was a really amazing trip and amazing experience. And it came from someone watching that YouTube talk, you know, and so it doesn't have to be on your channel. And I'm, I'm a student of that game. But more importantly, you know, every day is launch day. Every day is promotion day. Every day is repurposing of content day. Um, I can tell you right now that when I go into business meetings, when I go into podcasts, when I'm going and, you know, putting bids in for con large contracts, I'm leveraging my TEDx talk that was done four years ago. I'm planning a new TEDx talk. I'm planning to go to other countries and do another TEDx talk. Um, and, and the goal is, is to always create, but at the same time, always repurpose what you have and, and give it a different style, a different flavor, you know, and I've been interviewed about, you know, the experiences of TEDx in so many different contexts, what it was like to go in before it, how has it impacted my life after it, you know, and so you can still rely on great content that you've produced and repurpose it. So I wanted to get to your TEDx talk in a little yes. bit, but First, still, I still want to keep on this this content marketing train, note, sure. if I would. Um, yeah. So, what are some ways people fail at content marketing? How do how do people do it badly? I think personally, there's there's three key reasons why people fail, and the first one is ineffective planning. You know, I think people are in a rat race to just produce content and they don't do it really well. Um, and so, you know, you need to have a content distribution strategy and that requires planning that requires, you know, foresight and, and insight. Um, and that's the first element. The second element is people, you know, tend to go down the free route or go down the classical area of, I'm just going to do it myself. You can't, this is a, this is a world that, you know, requires networks and an ecosystem of connections and partners. And, you know, the brands that I work with spend months to build relationships with even a PR database to the point like, you know what, with ugly sweater party, it took us months to build relationships. But then when we got it really done really well, the second year, everybody that we had built relationships with were already ready to go. 
So when it was time to promote and launch, we had a partnership base that was amazing. You know, the Ugly, the Ugly Christmas Sweater Party has had over 6,000 mentions in PR in different formats. We were on the breakfast television. Um, and, uh, you know, we did a lot of really cool things. You know, we, we had a lot of partnerships as well. And, and that wasn't a one person doing, that was a team. So the second classical mistake is lack of you know, resources and networks. And that's why they fail. And the third is, you know, you got to hustle sometimes and add some money to make some more money. And, you know, that requires a paid media budget. I'm not against it because at the end of the day, we're in the era of paid media. And I was one of those guys that leveraged content marketing before advertising, before paid media. So it was even hard for me to adjust and go, you know, we need to really change things. Now, some people will, you know, come from a world of, well, before we tap into paid media, let's leverage our own networks. And that's great. I recommend it. But long term, you do more with paid media. And that's just the fact. That's the error that we're in right now. So you either embrace it or you don't. For solopreneurs like myself, how do you build a team to get that content out there and to leverage those partners? I go back to purpose and values. Um, you know, if you're working with vendors, do they have similar beliefs? Do they believe in your growth? Do they want to grow with you? Um, you know, right now we are going to see an emergence of entrepreneurship, you know, paid e-training is going to be huge. Um, we are, uh, having migrating workforces that have been displaced. So there's a lot of manpower and, you know, women power that exists right now. And there's a lot of, uh, people that are, are looking to thrive digitally. So, you know, your tribe calls for it, but I think it's about alignment. It's about beliefs and where you are, where you're going, who you're becoming, and if people believe in that journey. Um, I've been fortunate, like some of my clients became my vendors. Some of my attendees and audiences approached me to do business with me. Uh, I'm reviewing rate cards and portfolios almost every week now. Uh, but I also, you know, have done this for a long time and, um, you know, sometimes if you read the blue ocean strategy, sometimes you have to go to the opportunity. Sometimes you have to go to other people that have networks and either work and white label yourself or be part of something. So it takes time. It's not an easy concept, but I think that, you know, the, the universe does deliver some elements. You, you've also got to show up. All right. So now let's switch over to the Ted talk that you gave. Right. I, I know you did a whole bunch of preparation to, to be on that stage. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I, let's start off with the, you know, the universe passing me a message. So I started doing a lot of keynotes and a couple of people you know, from, this, from the audience keep coming back to me and going, you really should do a TED Talk and you really should do a TEDx Talk. You should really write a book. And so I didn't even know what a TEDx talk was at the time. And so I had to Google it. And I was like, oh, this seems like the Oscars of speaking. And uh, I was like, I really think that I, I have something that I could potentially go up there. And so I went for the big boy on campus and applied for TED, TEDx Vancouver. And, you know, when I got to the TEDx Vancouver elements, you know, I would always compete with like a final uh, candidate that was you know, a bigger celebrity than, than my status at the time. So, um, you know, I lost out to a journalist during the Arab Spring. I lost out to a captain for an MLS soccer team. And I kept going back to the organizing going, you know, is it my message? And they were like, listen, we, we need to sell tickets. That's the, that's the harsh reality of it. Mm -hmm. And so we are, you know, sometimes bringing in celebrity speakers to sell those tickets. 
Um, and I was, you know, it was recommended for me to try TEDx Stanley Park that was just moving to the Queen Elizabeth Theater with a 2000 person audience. And it turns out that I knew the guy that ran that space, uh, a good friend of mine, Roger Killen. Yeah, everyone and, knows Roger. Uh, <laughs> in Vancouver, yes, in they Vancouver, do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, he has one of the largest meetups uh, in Vancouver. And so Roger and I had a conversation over coffee and I was late for that meeting. And I got to say that. You know, I was I was stuck in traffic and, and good old Roger waited for me at a coffee shop. I was so apologetic. And, uh, you know, we had this conversation and Roger said, you know, a critical element like, look, I've seen you speak. You're a good digital speaker. I've seen the props. I've seen the, the videos. But this is nothing like that. This is a totally different ball game. You can't rely on anything. You are telling your story on a red dot for 15 to 18 minutes. And uh, I'm not going to make it easy for you. And I remember saying to Roger, give me everything you've got. And um, it was one of the hardest preparations I've ever had in my life. Um, I had four different coaches with four different messages at the time. Uh, we had, you know, 20 scripts. I can't even remember how many dress rehearsals now. And it was 360 hours of preparation. Wow. And, you know, I was practicing every morning in the shower, every night in the shower. Um, I was rehearsing uh, because, again, that's what they wanted you to do. They wanted you to know your script, you know, from the heart. And it wasn't something that you could wing. It was the standard of the chapter. I, I don't know if every TEDx went through, you know, every TEDx speaker goes through that or went through that. But we certainly did. And Roger's standards were very different. And, and Roger was, you know, infusing elements of other speaker associations and other speaker trainings. And so, you know, when you have four different coaches, everyone's got an opinion on what your message should be. But here's the reality of it. The day I was, you know, getting ready the last day before the TEDx talk, we were told to go to the Queen Elizabeth Theater. And uh, there was different speakers practicing. And the ones who had been confident in their scripts and confident in the training, I got to see them break on stage, they, their fears. Because, you know, there's, it's one thing to, to speak, but it's another thing to actually speak on a, on a stage. And fortunately, I had some experience on that area because I had done so many conferences prior to this. And so that's where my experience kicked in. And I remember Maureen, who is, um, I think she's a, a, you know, a news anchor on a show that she does. And it's she's the, been the sex, uh, sex therapist. Show, I, yeah. think on, I think it was on CKNW. Yeah, still, yeah, still yeah. On. And and Maureen's a, an amazing person, uh, amazing human being, and uh, she got to see me rehearse, and she gave me the validation that I needed. She said, "You know what? I've just listened to you speak. She's like, you're gonna nail this, and you. It looks like you've done this before, and." Uh, that was validation for me. You know, that was validation for me because someone in my speaker group heard me and said to me, you've got this, you know, and I'll, I'll always be grateful. I don't know if I've ever had this conversation, Maureen, but I always have be grateful for her validation because she, it came from a place of meaning and support and love. And I got to hear other speakers and Maureen was one of those people that I knew would have a great talk. And, uh, you know, the ones that I thought were really confident were shaking and forgot their script and were nervous. And, you know, I remember going to one of them and putting my arms around them and saying, it's going to be okay. And I remember saying, it's important for all of us to have this moment 
and to do it well. So it was important for all of us to nurture each other and, and really support each other. And I went home that night and I was really calm after that, after that rehearsal. I was really happy. I was really like accomplished because, you know, I, I felt like I was broken a few times before there. There was the times when I wanted to throw in the towel when, when you had three different coaches tear your script apart and give you three different areas of critique that are conflicting each other. You know, I call my mentor, David, and go, David, I feel like just giving up. And David's like, dude, you got a few more weeks. Just see it through. And, and David was my voice of reason. He was my compass. And, and um, I credit a lot of my elements to get there because of my tribe. So 20 minutes before I go up on stage, I look at my script and I go, this isn't my voice. And I take a pencil and I start changing things, you know, and I was like, I'm not going to tell my coaches because this is my message. And as much as I'm very grateful for their, you know, coaching, you know, some of the coaches were amazing. You know, I learned a lot about body tonality, messaging, you know, pacing and, and, you know, speaking with clarity. But the one area that I felt I owed it to myself was how I wanted to craft my message. So I made some changes to the script 20 minutes before I went up on stage. And these were small little things that you see on the actual talk. And it's moments when I am playing with the audience. It's moments when I say things and the audience starts laughing. And it was a risk, but it was a risk that was well taken. And I was happy with it. And I remember all the coaches were amazingly happy except for one and he knew I flipped the script and he knew I changed the script and I didn't care. I didn't care because as much as I was appreciative, I knew that I owed it to myself to tell my story and, and the way it was positioned, I wasn't really happy with that script. So I told my script in the end and I was fortunate to get a, um, you know, an applause and then a standing ovation, but more importantly, it impacted my life after everything changed. It opened up so many opportunities. I really don't think I would have been in Australia if it wasn't for that moment in time as well. So I'm forever grateful for that moment. It's a defining moment that I chose to say yes to, and um, it really has impacted my life. Were you a keynote speaker before? Yes, I was a digital keynote speaker before that. I had done uh, you know, a bunch of other conferences. I had spoken at Social Media Camp. Uh, local and internationally, I'd done a bunch of other events. But once you speak for TEDx or TED, um, it elevates your career. You know, the paid speaking opportunities really start to elevate at the time. The problem that you have right now, like anything else, is, is that marketers ruin everything. So <laughs> unfortunately, there's a lot of people that look at that and go, oh, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to do this because I've seen somebody else do it. And I feel like it's, you know, permission for me to go ahead and do it. So I, I can't judge every TEDx, you know, but, you know, there's some TEDx elements that are really high standards. Rogers was definitely a very high standard, you know, uh, theme and, you know, process. But there's others that have diluted messages. And you can see that in the production value. You can see that in what people are saying on stage. Um, and some people use it for marketing. And for me, it wasn't about embracing or marketing myself. You know, I'm a digital marketer that talked about life alignment. I talked about how to live life with purpose and alignment and how to fuel that. And that had nothing to do with digital marketing or my trade because Roger didn't want that. Roger didn't want a promotional, uh, you know, talk. He wanted something that was turning ideas into action. So credit to him. Um, and what was interesting was I went in with a completely different topic that I put a lot of research into. 
and it turned into an accidental product. You know, part of my mentoring practice today is about helping people with life alignment, helping people and companies and, and you know, belief systems with values and, and, and improving culture. Um, I sit on boards, you know, because of that. And so as much as I have a digital background, the accidental universal sort of ask from people is, can you help mentor me? Can you help work with me? And I work with leaders today um, and I'm almost, you know, a business therapist because of that. So that, that was an intention for me when I got on stage. Um, but that's what happened after. So for people who have not done uh, TEDx, how can they become a keynote speaker if that's something that they want to do? Preparation, coaching, um, messaging, um, you know, a little bit of outreach, you know, there's different elements. I mean, being a speaker has like anything else is a craft that takes time and it takes practice. Um, and there's a science to it. And, you know, for me, well, I, the classical mistake I made when I, uh, when I first did my first keynote, uh, was I overstuffed it with content? You know, there was bullet points and sentences and fifty slides, and I remember going through this whole thing, so like passionate, and the audience was exhausted. You know, it, they were just like, "This is a lot of content," but it was just like, you know, someone had just put a you know a hose and was like just flushing on water, and uh, I was like, "Oh wow," you know, like this was awesome, but I looked at the audience and they were exhausted. And, uh, you know, it's taken me a while to become what I call an experienced speaker. I've learned about storytelling. You know, I've learned how to present content in the, in a icon and, you know, a very shorter way of doing it. I'm not a big PowerPoint fan. I use keynote. Now I do a lot of videos to pass my message. I create emotions, laughter, fear, sadness, inspiration. You know, I, I'm a storyteller. Uh, but the biggest lesson I can tell you is to go see other speakers. So the, the best thing that I've ever done in my career at a young age was I went and saw other keynotes um, and I observed and I took, I asked myself three questions. What did I like about it? What didn't I like about it? And what am I going to apply to my message? And so I, I, that's when I became what I would like to say a better speaker was, you know, I got to go see and do the research and, and become a scout, you know, and, and there's different speakers that had different elements and I would just take different ideas and implement it and make my own voice, you know? And so if you look at my keynotes, it's a black background typically with circles of icons and, and one words for each of those icons. There's videos and images, there's pauses, there's less, uh, you know, less is more giving people a takeaway, but those things take time, you know? And so I think, I think coming from a good intention and a good place is a good start to become a speaker. You talked about this a little bit, but I'm wondering if you can elaborate on how did the TEDx talk change your life and change the way I guess you experience things? How does someone's life change when they win an Oscar? How does someone's life change when they are publicly recognized? How does someone's life change when they win an award? Um, it's an absolute privilege to speak for TEDx. And I, I know from the heart that uh, people 
view you differently when they see, you know, a TEDx talk that they believe in. And it's not just saying, hey, I'm a TEDx speaker, but it's actually having a good TEDx talk and something that, you know, people like, you know, you, you're going to have people that are going to troll you. You're going to have people that are going to have negative comments and that's okay. Um, you know, I respond to every comment on YouTube on my talk, good or bad, um, unless I don't understand what the comment is. Um, I feed the trolls, as they say, but I also compliment the complimenters and, uh, and I thank them. And the, the most powerful two words you can say to someone that gives you hate is thank you for watching. <laughs> you know, the thank you is basically the best thing you can say. So I, I think that professionally in my career was impacted because, um, you know, people value the hard work. It's like saying you've written a book and published, publicized it or, or publicized it, sorry. Um, it's when they see your message through different storytelling. So it gave me permission to embrace who I am. But more importantly, psychologically, it changed my hustle. My hustle became more strategic. My hustle became more leveraged. I play the long game, but it's no longer about proving myself. It's no longer about getting to a destination because, you know, you are now at that area that you wanted to be in. And so you have to play a different space. Um, and people are attracted when you have a detachable format. And I think that's the biggest lesson for most people in business today is, you know, we, we read the, the, the Gary Vaynerchuk books, you know, and we, we read, uh, you know, the Crush It books and we read and watch these things about hustling till, you know, no tomorrow. And we, you know, we are inspired by the sales of, of Grant Cardone's messages. But here's the thing. It's important and it lasts for the first few years when you're starting out, but that's not how you play bigger in a bigger landscape. You know, when you're dealing with corporate markets, when you're dealing with people who are already established, they, they don't care about the hustle. They want to see value, you know, and it's about the value you bring to someone. So your lenses change. And for me, the TEDx talk has had so much impact professionally, but it's allowed me to go on a, this journey you know, and travel all around the world. And it's brought me to Australia and it's changed my relationships and my tribe. It's evolved myself and my way of thinking. You know, it's allowed me to sit on boards of advisory. Um, every aspect of my life has changed from this one moment. And, you know, I, I genuinely meant this when I, when I wrote this on my social channels, you know, on, the, on May 28th, four years ago, my life changed. Um, it was a defining moment. And there's this thing that says, you know, when a defining moment comes knocking, it either defines you or you define it. And uh, I think both happened for me, you know? And so um, I, could, I could sit here and give you a whole podcast episode on every element and aspect that changed. But I can tell you this with, with sincerity that um, it has definitely evolved me as a person. Uh, and so you mentioned that you're writing a book. Can you remind me of the name again? Yeah, so I've, I've written the book. It's called Immigrant Hustle. It's, it was, you know, I took a, took a year to really line up the chapters. And if you're writing a book, the best thing to do is build a skeleton. So for me, it was the chapters. Um, and then I basically uh, edited it, took another year for that. And, uh, you know, I saw, I, I'm 37. Someone gave me validation to write the book at 30. On my 30th birthday, I got a card that said the most powerful and most interesting book you'll ever read is the one you write. 
And that's a friend of mine, Christine, who wrote that. And I decided to write the book. So, you know, once uh, things are stabilized and set up here, I think that there will be a moment in time where I will be making an announcement about the book being pub- published. But uh, it's it's done, you know. And so the book's all about my immigrant experiences and business lessons, uh, business lessons from each of those experiences. And, uh, you know, it's 12 chapters, 76,000 words. And I've fallen in love and hated the writing and gone back to it, you know, like every writer does. And I can honestly say I've done everything I need to do with the book. Can you tell us a little bit about your writing process and, and yeah, what, what does that look like? A creative space and embracing the creative time. So, you know, for me, it's all about making the creative time. The, the key thing that people think about writing is, you know, we have to first write this book and everything else. The key thing is you've got to create the space and energy for it. So I made a lot of mistakes, like picking the wrong time to write a book when I'm too tired. Um, so know what time you're, you're most creative and getting to writing the book is the biggest challenge because most people procrastinate. Everybody's writing a book. <laughs> But finding the time to actually do it and be creative and have the energy for it was the biggest lesson that I've learned. And for me, it was typically either in the mornings or in the evenings when I wasn't on my phone or on email. But mornings was when I had the most amount of energy. And what do you think about when you sit down at your desk to write? Um, I look at my vision of what I'm trying to create, you know, I look at the chapter outlines. And so, you know, one chapter was on purpose. So I go back to the storytelling concepts, the origins, and then, you know, I basically just, um, you know, process through my brain, what I want to talk about, what's the giveaways, what are the lessons, what are the experiences? And so, you know, I really just get into it. I silence everything else and just focus on the, on the writing. Is there one book that has influenced you? I know you talked about the blue ocean, maybe that's the book, but what book has influenced you the most in your life? You know, I think I'm a reader and I read every day. Um, And I have a collection of books. So it would be really unfair to say that one book has really impacted me, but I will tell you this. I started reading at a very young age. One of the first books I read was Treasure Island. Uh, by by Robert Louis Stevenson and uh, or RLS RLS Stevenson I guess is is the way he calls it, and uh, I, I I was an adventurer because of the Jules Verne's books you know the Journey to the Center of the Earth and Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea I've read the book watched the movie, taken the postcard you know and so um, I'm not going to give you a business book because at the end of the day I think those were the books that gave me permission to read but more importantly changed my mindset to become a traveler and, and, and also be an adventurer as well. So um, that, I think those books are the, the ones that really gave me the grassroots of wanting to read and made me fall in love with reading. Uh, but I read everything, man. I, I just finished Dan Brown's origin book, which was great. Mm. It was fiction. Um, I'm just finishing up Tribe of Mentors. I'm, I'm the kind of guy that has six books on the go. I and do, they're I placed strategically yeah. <laughs> all over my apartment and place. And depending on the mood, that's what I do. Awesome. Well, Bosco, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you taking your time. Where can people reach out? Where can people find you? Uh, Thanks for having me, Joel. I really appreciate it. Um, Everything is Bosco Anthony. Um, You know, I think I'm on the first 30 pages of Google. Uh, But if you want to find me socially through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, everything is just at Bosco Anthony. And uh, on your, on the TEDx um, channel, as I, yes. as I learned. Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Bosco. Uh, 
And yeah, again, thank you for being on the show and we'll talk soon. Appreciate it, man. Stay safe. Thank you for listening to Publishing for Profit. Please like and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.